Welcome to the Destiny Church 217 podcast, where we share the sermon of the week from Destiny Church. After the message, check out the show notes for links and more information on how to get connected with Destiny. Let's get into the message. We're going to continue in our Unashamed series. Martin Luther has found a place in my basement. I don't know exactly what we'll do with him, but he's there to startle any would-be intruders in my home. (laughs) If they break in my house, they're going to see a monk uh, standing and staring at him. So that'll be fun. Praise the Lord. Aaron, you do such a great job on all those videos and all that stuff. That's just a lot of business. And you do such a great job with it. Appreciate appreciate it. And he was down there with me for, I think, five hours yesterday working on doors, too. So it's great to have you on the team. Okay, if you have your Bibles, you're going to want to get them out and open to Romans chapter 6. I was telling my wife this morning, I'm really looking forward to preaching Romans 12 like in 2023. <laughs> but uh, we're in Romans 6. We've been at this for a while, but I think there's something to, something to mine out of this every week. And so it's, it's, it's just great fun for me uh, exegetically and uh, hopefully for you informatively. And um, yeah, so this is Romans, Unashamed. And we have this series title, from the theme verses in the book of Romans, which happens to chapter one, and just two verses. You can say it with me if you'd like. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first the Jew, then the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Lord God, we thank you for your word. It's alive, it's sharp, it's powerful. And it's here for us today, for the generations gone by, and for those ahead of us, should you tarry, to help fashion our lives so that we would have a sure foundation, a mooring that doesn't shift. God, a rock of our salvation. So we thank you for this word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Written by Paul, this book is written to whom? The Romans. He's in Corinth, Greece. Um, And Rome is quite a ways from Corinth, Greece, but he's there, headed there on his third missionary journey. This is in the mid-50s, and in just a few years, Nero is going to start burning Christians at the stake and feeding them to the lions. This is what's in store for Paul and for Peter as well, who get uh, crucified by Nero in Rome. So knowing that this is what his future is, he's still destined to go there. He knows the turmoil that's happening in Rome because of the Christians here some 30, 40 years after Jesus' resurrection. So as we have that as our backdrop, let's look at Romans chapter six. We're only gonna look at a few verses today. And so I'll just read them all to you so we can get a context. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? I love that verse. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Verse three. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized in the Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him. Say that, buried with him. Buried with him. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Here's the the juggernaut, verse five. If we have been united with him, like this in his death, we are also must be united with him in his resurrection. We'll unpack that in a minute. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died 
has been freed from sin. So let's begin one and two. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. In fact, um, uh, King James uh, says, God forbid that we would go on sinning because there was this idea that, oh, grace appears when we sin and who doesn't like grace? So let's sin a whole bunch so we can have a whole bunch of sin or a whole bunch of grace rather. So that, that was the fallacy in all of that. It's like, Oh, my wife has a washing machine at home and she likes to wash clothes. Oh, look at that muddy cornfield over there. I should just go out, get out of my truck, roll around in the muddy cornfield just because I know she'll wash it for me. Why are we giggling? Because that's silly. That's what we're talking about here. Should we sin? Should I go out and roll around in the mud just because I know he's going to forgive me? Should I roll around in the mud just because I know Cheryl will wash it? How long will she be patient with me when every day I come home having rolled around in the mud? How long will God be patient with us every day we roll around in the mud on purpose? See? So our revelation is this today. Up to this point in the book of Romans, we've been talking about how God forgives us. The grace of God, the cross of God is there. It forgives us. We screwed up, we messed up, we made a holy mess out of everything in our life, our marriage, our family, our kids, our job, our whatever. We've got issues, we've got issues. But praise the Lord, the grace of God through the cross of Jesus Christ forgives us of our sin. Praise the Lord. But should we continue to sin because grace abounds? God forbid, we shouldn't do that. What's gonna happen now? Paul's gonna pivot from grace forgives us to the grace and cross of Christ empowers us. This is, this is a dichotomy that's important. It's manifold information that we have because a lot of people just go through life that the grace of God, the cross of Christ is there because it forgives us of our sins, hallelujah. And then suddenly in the back of their mind, they have this mentality, I'm gonna go roll around in the mud every day because God has the cross and forgiveness and blah, blah, blah. But Paul's gonna now tell us and remind us, listen, the grace and the cross of Christ is there for us to forgive us of our sins, but also provides for us a power so I don't have to get out of my truck. I can, I can make up my own mind and say, you know, I'm not going to do that. Why? Because I have the grace of God and the power of the cross at work in my life. So we actually interdict, we cut off before the drugs ever come over the southern border, we stop them at the border. So before sin ever comes into our life, we stop it at the border of my life. And what, 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 what the enemy sees at the border of my life is the flaming cross of Christ and the grace of Jesus Christ that says, no, you're not coming into his life today. But it takes a cognizant decision on your part to erect the cross at the border of your life. Because if you don't, he's going to creep in. He's going to creep in. And next thing you know, it's compromise, compromise compromise little by little inch by inch slowly slowly he turns to you so that's what we're going to talk about today <laughs> take a look at this spider the spider tells us all that we need to know <clears throat> we are thank god oh the, god comes into my life he forgives me of my sins he cleans, the, he cleans the cobwebs out of my life. But how much better would it be if we killed the spider? This is the difference between grace that the cross that forgives me, clean all that stuff out, make me new again. But if you leave the spider crawling around the border of your life, you're going to have the mess again. Should we continue to sin because grace abounds? Should we let the spiders in your life continue to live? Or should we just put up a flaming cross and says, no more? Right? So we step on the spider. I don't care how you kill the spider. Squish the spider. In the spirit realm, we hold up the word of God and say, no, this is now in charge. The, the word of God is in charge of my life, not me. Here's where the difficulty begins, is when you say, you know, that was really good. God saved me. He cleaned the cobwebs out, but I'm going to run my own life now because, you know, I'm so smart. <laughs> I'm going to put myself on the throne of my life. See, that's what got you in trouble the first time that brought you to the cross. You tried being in charge of your own life because you're so smart. I'm talking about myself because I was so smart. I was so smart. 
But then I realized I wasn't so smart, and not only did I have cobwebs, I had spiders, and I got to take care of that. And so when I say, okay, now thank you, God, for cleaning up my life, but I've got it from here. I don't need you anymore. You're kicking God off the throne of your heart, and you're putting yourself on the throne of your life, and that's how you got in trouble the first time. Am I clear? Okay, very good. So that's what we're talking about today. So here we go. It's the power of grace, not just forgiveness, but freedom from sin. All right, so... Verse three and four. Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Question mark. Don't you know that? We were therefore what? Buried, say with him, through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the God Father, we too may be brought back to new life. Now, I, uh, I like... Listen, I I preach generally out of the NIV um, because the King James is difficult for some people. Um, I was a KJV guy all the way through my Bible studies, through my schooling. Uh, But then when I got into the real world and I began to minister the word of God and I had to take major chunks of my sermon time explaining language from 1611 that let your conversation also be, just didn't mean the words that came out of your mouth, but your lifestyle and your body and all of this, it, it, became, it became difficult to bring a level of understanding. So I, I, went, I came to the NIV. Other people have their, their different translations. It's a dynamic, dynamic uh, a Bible using Greek and the Hebrew. And, and so for some people have a problem with the NIV. They call it nearly inspired version. Eh, I don't like that. But it's, it, it's, what, I, it's what I choose. It's what I prefer um, for, this, for this context. But, you know, there, is, there are what they call paraphrases. Back in the day when I was younger, the Living Bible came out. Oh, and I was, died in the wool Lutheran, so that was like heresy, right? The Living Bible was like, you know, there's no these and thous, and it was all in very popular language back in the 60s when Godspell, the musical, was about on Broadway, nonetheless. So there is another Living Bible paraphrase for our generation written by a man by the name of Eugene Peterson. Uh, It's called the message Bible. And this Bible is also a paraphrase. So what I'm going to, what I'm about to, and I'm unpacking this because it's something that we need to know. Paraphrases are, are not good for Bible study. They're just not good for Bibles. If you want to understand and dig down, and, and I was listening to something on, God bless WCIC, you know, and Christian radio, but sometimes you have radio announcers trying to be theologians, and they, go, they read a verse, and then they define the word in the verse by Webster's Dictionary. That's not smart. Whenever you have a word in the Bible you want the definition of, you should go to a lexicon, a Greek or a Hebrew lexicon, and see what the true meaning of that word is, not the English understanding of that word. Now, I'm way down this rabbit hole when I try to tell you about Eugene Peterson. Sorry. He's a Presbyterian theologian who written 30 books or so. He died in 2019. Very smart guy. And he wrote this paraphrase. And so what he has done, he's read the, read the Bible and he says, now how can we say that in a more contemporary way so we can help get our minds around it, right? So I'm just going to read to you a couple verses of this out of the Eugene Peterson paraphrase. It's a great Bible. I'm not just in the Bible, but it's not a Bible study Bible. Don't make it your everyday Bible. It's helps for, it helps for understanding. So Romans 6 from Eugene Peterson, the Message Bible, it sounds like this. So what do we do? Do we keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If, we're, if we left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Like, <laughs> if we left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house that's there? Or didn't you realize that we packed up and left there for good? This is what happened at baptism when we went under the water. We left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into a new country, a country of grace, a new life in a new land. That's what water baptism, that's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When you are lowered into the water, it is like the burial of Jesus. When you are raised up out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Jesus. So, Let's look at uh, this, this imagery of the water baptism. The only thing missing is a lily laid on your chest, right? 
So you go down into the water. Why? Because you're dead. And what do you do with dead people who say, I don't want to be alive to myself anymore. I want to be alive to Christ. Well, you can't be alive to Christ and alive to yourself. That's not how this works. You have to die to yourself. And when you die to yourself, what do you do with dead things? You bury dead things. And so the symbolism is that we go beneath the water. I'm not making, listen, if you were sprinkled as was I when I was a child, I'm not dissing your sprinkling, right? But I'm telling you, the biblical model is immersion, to go under, because it is a sign. It is a type. It is a shadow of what it is happening in our real life, is that we literally, literally go under the water as though dead. Now, I like to pause here for a minute. Let's think. Do you get to come back up? So this means there's a purpose for you in your life with Christ. Because if there wasn't a purpose that God had for you, then when I water baptized you, I should have just held you down till the bubble stopped coming up. <laughs> Praise the Lord, he's never gonna sin again. <laughs> Hallelujah, he's dead to himself. Another one goes to heaven. Praise God. No, what happens? You come back up, so you are dying with Christ, you're buried with Christ, and then you have a new life with Christ. This is the symbolism that is water baptism. Why is this important? Well, it, because it identifies you as a Christian. We have kind of sanitized it. Of course, we're going to be having water baptisms here at the end of the month. We're going to do it during the service, um, as we like to do. Um, but I baptized people in swimming pools and hot tubs. I had somebody once say, this guy got saved in my house in Bible study tonight. He wants to get baptized right away. Can, he's calling me, Pastor, can I baptize him in my, in, my, in my bathtub at home? I said, absolutely, you can baptize him in your... It doesn't take a, a pastor to baptize you. Did you know that? You can baptize your own kids. So, but, I mean, this is a public confession that I am now dead to myself. This is, this is why we invite our friends. This is why we invite our families. It's not done hidden in a corner. We do it out in front of everybody. The old Eric is no longer here. I have died. And I'm gonna give you an illustration and an object lesson of what that means, family and friends. Watch me go under the water. That's a sign that I've died to myself and I've been buried with Christ. But watch the preacher bring me back up. Boop, because I now have a new purpose. I have now I have a new mission and I have a destiny, not just a destination. Because if all you have is a destination, which is heaven, and you don't notice, know that you have a destiny in Christ, then you're just gonna be happy going to heaven and sitting in the sweet by and by and somebody should just put you out of misery right now. But you've been resurrected with Christ. This is what he's talking about. It's a public decoration. We say that it's an outward sign of an inward experience. Being baptized does not save you. It is a sign that you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone, all for his glory. Sound familiar? Right. So it's a circumcision of the heart. Because in the Old Testament, as a sign, circumcision didn't make you a Jew, it was a sign you were a Jew. Okay, hang with me. I'm riding a couple different horses here. I'm in the Old Testament now. In the old days, the Jews were circumcised. Why? As a sign of their faith in Christ. It didn't give them faith in, not Christ, but in God. It didn't, it didn't make them Jew. It identified them as Jew. In the New Testament, we say there's a circumcision of the heart. This identifies me as a Christian. Here's where that, in, in Colossians, let me just read it. In him... This is 2.11. You were also circumcised. Wait, no, I got saved and I didn't get circumcised. Well, he's saying that I was. In him, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done with a knife by the hands of men, but a circumcision done by Christ. Having been, say it, buried with, uh-oh, I was buried with, I was co-buried with him in baptism, which means then I was raised with him. I was co-raised with him. These are the Greek words. Through your faith and the power of God who raised him from the dead, verse 13, when you were dead in your sins and in 
the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you what? Resurrected you alive with Christ. He forgave all of your sins. So we're having water baptism at the end of the month. This is the Sunday after Thanksgiving. So you can type the word baptize to the church number, 217-685-4124. Or, Aaron, did you see if you checked that QR code, right? You can put your camera up there right now. Boom, your phone right there. Boop, right now, if you're not water baptized, you want to be water baptized, do that. Stop in the information t- table. See Chuck, Christine at the information table. There's a sign-up sheet back there. And we're going to have a celebration. We're going to have a heart circumcision party, a demonstration. Baptism doesn't make you saved any more than circumcision for a Jew made them a Jew. It's simply an outward sign to your family, to your friends, and everyone that, listen, the old Eric is dead and the new Eric is alive. And I have a purpose in life, and that's to serve Christ. I have a destiny, not just a destination. Are you with me? So write this down. Faith is personal, but it's never private. Faith is personal, but it's never private. My lovely, lovely wife. Stand up, would you? So I go to my wife. I said, listen, I want to marry you. 37 years? Oh, good. 37 years ago, 37 years ago, babe, will you marry me? I want you to be in my life forever, and I want you to be with me forever. And she says, yes, I'll be with you forever on these conditions. I don't want to wear a ring. You're not going to tell anybody that we're married. We're not going to have a party. We're not going to send out what do you call those announcements? We're not sending out invitations and announcements. Save the dates. We're not doing any of that. I'm not going to wear a ring. In fact, we're not even going to have a ceremony. And we're not even going to tell anybody. We're not going to tell our family or our friends or anybody that we're married. Then I'll marry you. That's what some Christians do when God comes to them as the bride of Christ and says, would you be with me forever? I'll be with you for, I want to be with you. I want to be with you. Will you marry me? And we go, yes, but there's a few circumstances. There's a few, th- few caveats, a few <clears throat> preconditions. I'm not going to tell anybody that I'm a Christian. I'm not going to have any identifiers like a wedding band. We're not going to make any announcements. We're going to keep it private. Faith is personal, not private. This marriage, this relationship that either you're considering stepping into today for the not yet saved, for those that are just beginning your walk trying to figure out what this thing means to be a Christian, and a reminder for those of us that have been married 37 years or longer. My faith is a private thing, but not my marriage to Christ. Faith is personal, but never private. Oh, no one will ever know that I'm a Christian. Well, there might be circumstances in your life if you live in some Muslim country where they'll cut your head off. I I, I might let you slide a little bit there. If you're Dietrich Bonhoeffer and you're trying to kill Hitler, I might let you slide there. I don't want you standing up in the middle of the meeting with Hitler saying, I'm a born-again believer and I'm going to try to kill you. (laughs) Right? So there are some caveats with this privacy thing. But for 99.9999999999% of us, you have a responsibility. You're married to him. You're the bride of Christ. So are you ashamed of that? Are you ashamed of the gospel? If so, you need to, you need to realize, if, if, if there's some, like, gosh, I, that would really make my job tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know it's a cakewalk for Jesus to hang on a cross. And if I get water baptized, I mean, my makeup and my hair, I'll look so silly. It'll be just, it'll be, it'll, I'll just look a tro. Are you that concerned about your looks? And you're running makeup when Jesus hung naked, bleeding on a cross for the entire world to see? He wasn't ashamed of you. He was, and you were still a sinner when he died for you. Right? 
So we just need a little reality check. Listen, you've come to get the truth, right? This is why, this is why we're here. To say, listen, I am a believer in Christ. I am a biblical Christian is kind of a watered-down term anymore because there's a lot of people who say they're Christian and want to kill babies. It just, doesn't, it just doesn't make sense to me and the person who sits on the throne of my life. You can disagree with me. You have the right to be wrong if you want to be. That's fine. You will answer to your maker for that. So I'm not here. I'm just telling you the truth is what sets us free. Some, some people didn't like the things that I said about Luther or the Catholic Church last week. It doesn't make me happy that I went to the beehive and hit it with a Louisville slugger. But that's what we did. Because some people are like, ah, well, did you watch the whole thing? At the end where I talked about compassion and mercy and loving and, 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 and all. Well, no, well, <laughs> we had to stop. We had to stop people from making comments on the YouTube video of it because of people just going crazy. Listen, (sighs) you understand what I'm trying to say? Okay, good. I'm not here. I just want to speak the truth. And sometimes the truth gets you in trouble. So you have to, to, when you're presented the meal, you have to decide if you're going to eat it or not. I'm not here to force feed anybody. But take the information that I'm giving you today about your walk with Christ and evaluate yourself. This is called a canon. I don't know if you know this or not, but the Bible actually has another name. It's called the canon, and not canon like you shoot a canon, canon like canon photography, canon uh, cameras, spelled different, you know. That canon means the standard, the word canon. In every discipline in life, whether you're a, a doctor, a lawyer, a plumber, a lecturer, whatever, there's a canon. There's, there's a book you go to to get the truth about your particular discipline. It's called the canon of whatever it is. This is called the canon for life. And so when your life, when your life looks different than what's in here, don't look for ways to find the, the caveat, the loophole around so that you can feel justified in continuing to live in the manner that's not in the canon. You never take your life circumstance and bring it to here to verify and to justify your life. You bring the Bible to your life and line your life up with this word. And if there's a, devi- if there's a deviation between what it says and your life, then it's up to you. I can't, I can only point it out. When you go to the doctor and he says, listen, you really, you really need to do this because if you continue to do that, you're going to die 10 years sooner. So you should really do this. He doesn't follow you home. You have to determine in yourself. I'm going to be the boss of me and I'm going to make sure that these things work. And so you, you now have been exposed to the truth about your circumstance. That's why faith is personal. But it can't be private. All right, let's wrap this up. Five, six, and seven. We're only going to verse seven. So verse five, if we have been united with him, say with him, mm-hmm, like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him. There they are again, underlined them. They should be underlined with him. Verse six, for we know that our old self was co-crucified with him. Why? So that the body of sin might be done away with, rendered powerless is what that means. Sin is powerless then. That we should no longer be what? Slaves to sin. So the idea is you're going to be, you're going to be a slave. <laughs> That's a, don't shout me down, pastor. Here's the deal. You will either be slave to sin or slave to Christ. You'll be slave to the first Adam, as it says in Hebrews and in Romans later. You'll be slave to the first Adam, meaning Adam in the garden who sinned. You'll be slave to a life of sin. Or you can attach yourself co-crucified, co-buried, co-resurrected. You can be a slave to, to, with Christ, the second Adam. First Adam, second Adam. You're going to serve somebody, Bob Dylan says. <laughs> You're going to serve somebody. Well, I serve myself. Well, then you've already decided that you're a slave to yourself, which is a slave to sin. So pay attention. I'm about to give you the secret to victorious Christian living. Here we go. 
Dead men tell no tales. You ever heard that phrase? Dead men tell no tales. Uh, I think his first name was Francis. Last name is Beckon, B-E-C-C-O-N. He was born in 1511, which should ring a bell to you because this Reformation was 1517. This guy was a minister who was born like six years after Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis. So he's born in the, he's an incunable. He's, he's from the crib in Latin. He is, he is from the crib of the Reformation and he's a minister. And he's, he's a reformed, he's a, he's a protestant. And then in England in the day, because he was born in England, not Germany, and you don't know how your geography works or not. He was born in England, He's a believer in Jesus. He's a protestant. He's preaching and teaching this. Seems to be going okay for a while. And then, you ever heard of the the term Bloody Mary? Not the drink, the woman. She was a woman. She ruled England right after the Reformation. And she started killing people. If you were a Protestant, you're done. That's why they called her Bloody Mary. Mary, the queen of England, called Bloody Mary. That's where all that comes from. She started, so what does he do? He said, man, I can't be around England. They're going to kill me, right? So where do you think he fled to? Say Germany, be right. He fled to Germany. He wanted to hang out with Luther and the boys. Anyway, he was actually, he was arrested. He was arrested and he was thrown into the Tower of London. He was arrested in England. Then he got out and that's when he fled. Anyway, he's the, I say all that because this is, sorry. I say all that because he's the one who said that first. Dead men tell no tales because Bloody Mary was trying to kill him. She didn't want him telling the tale of Christianity, of Jesus. So he said that. So something else dead people can't do is sin. The only hope you have of living a sin-free life is for you to die. How encouraging, Pastor. Let's all have a, you know, we'll have a funeral. I don't want to sin anymore. Okay, come here. Harry Carey, right? Well, that's not what we're talking about. This is, not what, this is not what the book of Romans is talking about. We're talking about being co-crucified. Since we aren't going to physically die, at least yet, how do we die so that we don't have sin in our life anymore? Is that we identify with Christ's crucifixion. I I'm going to be co-crucified. Then, because I'm co-crucified, I have to be co-buried to my own behaviors. But then I get co-resurrected. That's the secret to victorious Christian life. Overcoming, the grace and the cross are are, are not just forgiveness, but the grace and the cross of Christ is so that you don't have to sin anymore. Are you saying that I can live a sinless life? Probably not. Why? Because you have a sin nature. You're born with it. But I can identify with Christ and I say, I need his grace to get the cobwebs out. And by the, cro- the flaming cross of Christ on the border of my life, I will not let those transgressions come into the borders of my life. How can I go back to that place and live in that land when I was born free from that? I've now escaped from that land. Why would I ever want to go back there? Well, sin does have a pleasure. Listen, if sin was just horrible, what temptation would there be, right? That's like if broccoli could just taste like Susie Q's or Ho-Ho's or Ding Dong's or anything hostess, I would be the healthiest person ever. But that's not how it works. Sin has a pleasure, but the Bible says this, for a season. You eat it, it tastes sweet, but in your belly it turns to rocks. So in Greek, this term co-crucified, it means this, the closest possible union. This co-crucified, co-buried, co-resurrected, this, this prefix co means the closest possible union. So now I'm about, I'm about to blow your mind. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tear down a, a, a golden calf in your mind. Get ready. Don't get mad at me. Just get ready. 
You were in Sunday school and the teacher said, oh, there's, two th- there's Jesus and then there's the two thieves and the thief and the murderer and, and you know, there we are, there we are. And, Father, forgive me. I want to be with you. You are the Christ. And there you are on that cross right there with Jesus because this is what it says. Your Sunday school teacher was wrong. Your pastor was wrong because to be co-crucified means that you were on the same cross that when the nails went through his hands, they went through your hands. When they went through his feet, they went through your feet. You're not like three blocks down. You're not in the next neighborhood. You're not some other cross down the way. What it really means is you were co-crucified, meaning you, you, the closest possible physical... Stand up, David. Right? If he's Jesus on the cross and it says the closest possible physical relationship with and I'm on the cross over here I don't see that being the reality I see I'm not going to jump on your back but I see this I see this in the Greek I see this in the original language this is what we have to identify with because until we identify with this then all of that is out there and somebody else did it I, 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 I'm a voyeur. I'm observing from a distance what he did for me. That's not what co-anything is. We're co-partners in this. I am co-crucified, hands across the chest, dead. I am co, I just read all this to you. I am co-buried with him. And then I'm co-resurrected with him. You know the phrase, there is no crown without the cross. You know this phrase, there's no crown without a cross. That's what we just illustrated to you. This, this voyeur Christianity that Jesus did something for me. No, I did it. I was right there with him. In fact, I was not only the one that hung on the cross with him. I'm the one that put him there. Died with Jesus on the same cross so I could be buried with Jesus and raised to life. Galatians chapter two, verse 20 says like this. I have been, here it is again, co-crucified with Christ. I've been crucified with him. Co, Greek. I have been crucified with him. Not he did it over there. If I'm a Christian, I died because that's the only way you're gonna get free of sin, have the power of forgiveness, yes, but to be raised to a new life, to have power, to have dynamite, dunamis, Holy Spirit, life-filled, sin-free living, it's possible as long as I remain dead. And I I make my life, oh, oh, a living sacrifice. And the problem with a living sacrifice that he brought us back up, that the preacher brought you out of the water, is that you still have a free will. My first preacher, my first Holy Ghost Pentecostal preacher I ever fell in love with, Ron Callahan was his name. He used to say it like this. The problem with a living sacrifice is that they crawl off the altar. I make my life a living, I die with Christ, I'm buried with Christ, I'm resurrected, a brand new life. And as long as that is my mantra, my my life center of what I put my whole life around, I'm fine. But as soon as I go, nah, you know, I'm going to kind of do my own thing this week. Why? Because it feels good being in charge, being the boss, right? I'm going to play with my grandkids. Who's the boss? Grandpa's the boss. You're darn right grandpa's the boss. Right? This is grandpa's the boss. Go inside. Go inside. Look out. Oh, there's a brand new boss now. Her name's Davina. Davina's the boss. She's telling everybody what to do. This is the human nature. When you don't recognize the boss, Jesus Christ, is in charge of your life, you'll go haywire. You'll go off script. You kick him off the throne. You say, I'm going to be boss today or tonight just for 10 minutes while I peruse this website. Just for 20 minutes. Well, he'll forgive me. Should I sin because grace abounds? Should I roll in the mud because I know my wife will wash my clothes? God forbid. Are you feeling this? Okay. So, death 
Death breaks all ties, cancels all obligations. It's the law. And here's the thing about the law. The law has no more power over you after you die. <laughs> right? I like that. Jurisdiction over a dead person ceases when they die. The only power that can cause a believer to sin is his power of personal choice. We, oh yeah, we can still sin, but now it becomes a choice. I choose to say, I'm God. When I do it my way, God, thank you very much for saving me. Now you just go sit down because I want to do this. I'm going to do this. I know, I know, I know. Shh, 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 Jesus. I know the whole world still thinks I'm a religious person. And I know that I can couch all of this in very religious terms. And I know that a lot of people will still think I'm doing the will of my father, but this is really my thing. You sit there and I'm going to make this all about me now. Okay. So just relax. What you're doing is you're saying, I'm going to be God now. And last I checked in Exodus chapter 20, that's a flagrant violation. And God spoke these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, Decalogue, number one, numero uno, top of the list, you shall have no other gods, what? Before me. The power you need to overcome sin in your life is only found in dying. Co-crucified. So that you can be co-buried and be co-resurrected and have a new life. A destiny for your destination. First Corinthians, we'll wrap it up with this. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 23. The author is Paul. The cross is a scandal and it's moronic to the world. Watch this. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block. This is what it says in English. This is why we use Greek lexicons, not Webster's Dictionary. Christ crucified, and we're co-crucified, right? Say yes. Christ is crucified. That's a stumbling block. The Greek word, scandalon. What does that sound like? Scandalous. That's a scandal. And to the Jews... Miorian. It's moronic. You want to be a Christian? You going to stand up and be water baptized? It's a scandal to the Gentiles and it's moronic to the Jews. You will look like a fool, but it is the power of God to salvation. See, a lot of people, they're fine with Jesus. He's a good teacher. He's a wise man, but they don't like Jesus saving sacrifice for our sins. They like Jesus, the nice guy, but they don't like the bleeding lamb. They like the Christ, the savior idea, but they don't like the bloody cross. You know why? It's ego shattering to say, I need the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to take care of my sin. Because that means you're not the boss. That means you're not on the throne anymore. Somebody else is more important than you. And so Romans 6, which we've looked at today, it's the heart of our Christian experience. Co-crucified, you died with him co-buried, co-resurrected. Colossians 3.1, since then you have been raised, oh, wait, raised what? Colossians 3.1, you have been raised with Christ. See, there it is, co. I've been co-resurrected. Yes, no crown. You're gonna wear a crown, you're gonna get a crown. Crown him with many crowns. Those are the crowns we take to heaven. We get crowns and you know what? Do you know what happens? On that day, I mean, you come and, and God says, well done, boom, there's your crown. And you're like, yeah, I did it. Yeah, I got my crown. Then you look across the crystal sea and there's a throne over there. And on that throne is one, like the son of God. And around the throne are the 24 elders. A representative from each tribe and the 12 apostles. And then there's the lion, the ox, the man and, and um, the eagle flying around the throne and you realize who it is. And this crystal sea and all of humanity takes off their crown and they throw them 
at the feet of that throne. That's how it's going to be on that day. And what a day that will be. Colossians 3.1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ, co-resurrected. Set your hearts on things above, people, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Death must precede resurrection. It's simple, but think about it. You want to resurrect? Yeah. Then you're going to have to die to yourself. No crown without a cross. So the cross does two things. It's the power to forgive, but also the power of a victorious life. And so let me read the Scandalon and the Morion out of 1 Corinthians, the Message Bible. While Christ clamor for, while Jews clamor for miraculous demonstrations, Greeks for philosophical wisdom, we go right on preaching Christ crucified. Jews treat it like an anti-miracle, a scandalon. Greeks pass it off as absurd, moronic. But to us, but to us who are personally called by God himself, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is God's ultimate miracle and wisdom all wrapped up in one. Well, I identify, this is what we do nowadays, you know, in our society. What do you identify as? What do you identify as? <laughs> I'd like to identify as a very wealthy person. That's what I'd like to identify as. But, you know, Eric, all your checks are bouncing. Well, it doesn't matter. I identify as a wealthy person. <laughs> I identify as a Native American, or I identify as whatever, you know. I identify as a male, or I identify as a female, well, I got a tweet for you this week. It goes like this. I identify with Christ. If you want to identify with anybody, why don't you just identify with Christ? Identify with Christ. In him is everything you'll ever need. And you won't need to look to anybody or anything, me or government or anyone else, so that you're satisfied. All your needs are met in Christ, in Christ alone. So if you've truly given your life to Christ, what has happened? You've died. You've been buried. You've been resurrected. But when you start putting yourself back on the throne, what happens? You start to die again. But you're dying your spiritual life, right? But you're still walking around. That makes you a spiritual zombie. You were dead, but you're coming back to life. And it's not the right kind of life. It's life where you're in charge of yourself. I'm talking to people that I've been walking with Jesus for a while. I'm not talking to brand new people that are thinking about getting born again or on fire for Jesus. I'm talking about people like you and me who every day, Jesus, I love you, boom. Co-crucified, yes. I'm dead to myself. I'm buried to my own, my own desires. I want to be raised to life so I have a destiny for my destination and I'm in it to win it. Oh, wait a second. You just sit over there for a second, Jesus, because I got this thing to do here. What I did, kicked him off the throne and I'm beginning to die. I'm beginning to die my spiritual life. Right? And I'm just a zombie. I'm just like going through the motions of being a Christian. That's a dangerous place to be. But here we go. John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come. You might have life and life to the full, abundant life. In October of 1955, prior to April of 1956, there was a missionary. His name was... Jim Elliott, and he was in Ecuador ministering to a bunch of cannibals, and they killed him. They killed him. Flew his plane right down to the river, and his diaries show the whole thing. If you've seen the movie, The Tip of the Spear, Tip of the Spear, is that what it's called? End of the Spear. Thank you, Hannah. I'll be done in a minute, dear. <laughs> it's called The End of the Spear. Then you'll know what this movie is about. It's about a missionary. But if you look at his journal, you can actually go online and see the journal. The date of entry, I think it was in October, the end of October of 1955, where he said this. Listen, if you don't hear anything else I say today, listen. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. That's the Christian life. Live it. Enjoy it. I do my best. Are there days that I go, I'm going to do my own thing? Yeah, just like you. 
And I say, stupid, stupid, stupid. Come home with dirty jeans because I rolled in the mud. And you know what? The father isn't there to beat me up and smack me around like some of you had some really raunchy dads. This dad's a good dad. So, all right, come on, son. Let's get you cleaned up again. Now, we shouldn't keep doing that because I'm going to do this every time. You should start growing up a little bit. Remember that just because the boss isn't present with you everywhere you go, you're not the boss. I'm the boss. I'm the dad. I got you. Here's your new ring. Here's your sandals. Here's your, here's your feast. Let's try this again. That's what he does for us. That's why I'm a Christian. So why don't you stand up with me, please? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Sorry for keeping you over a little bit today, but uh, that was only seven verses, ladies and gentlemen. Hallelujah. We've got chapters ahead of us. We're going to have so much fun. So much fun. So much fun. Lord Jesus, we, we bow our hearts and our heads today as a sign that we're not the boss. You're the boss. You're in charge. And for those times that we've kicked you off the throne and closed the book and said, we're going to do it our way, we are so sorry. Forgive us, please, please, please. We're going to stop sinning. We're going to stop sinning the best we know how with the help of your spirit, Lord, to keep the cross of Christ lifted up as a banner over our lives. We're not going to do it intentionally anymore. We're going to do our best with your help to keep you at the center of our life. And we do that by recognizing today and confessing that I am crucified with Christ. I am co-crucified with Christ. I died. I died on that date, those many years ago when I gave my life to you. I was buried with you. I was raised anew. coming back to the Lord this morning say no I'm done I'm done serving myself it's time to serve Jesus again or maybe for the first time just lift your hand with me this morning Father here we are broken undone people who need your help we cannot do this by ourselves so we die to ourselves with you buried to our old ways and raised to new life today once again because of your faithfulness and your grace to kill the spiders in our lives. We purpose to always serve you and always honor you and remember you are the boss of our lives. Until that day, we see you face to face and are able to throw our crown at your feet. We give you honor in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, we bless you and thank you. Amen and amen, amen. God bless you all. Have a great, great afternoon. As we conclude this podcast, we want to take a moment to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please consider subscribing to receive our weekly podcast on your device. Check out the show notes for links to our website, more information about this message, or to support our ministry. You've been listening to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, your place for real, relevant relationships.